are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. This morning I want to talk about the shipwreck of Paul. The shipwreck of Paul. The whole 27th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles is given over to the the description of a storm. The description of the storm, one of the most striking and stirring scenes recorded in the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit's description of a storm on the Mediterranean. Paul was in the hands of a Roman centurion. And against Paul's advice, they're taking ship for the island of Crete. We do not claim that everything that is brought out in this story is an intended type. But we do claim that what is set forth here is illustrative of the actual condition that confronts the church of the living God in this present day. Much space is given in the Word of God to the description of this. I learned a long time ago that if I was to be worth anything to God, I must preach to people what they need, not what they want. Give them what they want. And so they gave some human reasonings for their setting sail. Do you know what they said? The centurion and the captain of the ship, in verses, 20, in verses 10 and 11, they, they insisted upon putting out to sea because they believed the things spoken of by the captain of the ship more than they did the things which were spoken by the Apostle Paul. And they gave two, they gave two reasons for their setting sail. One was the appeal of the flesh. And the other was public, the appeal of public opinion. The appeal of the flesh. They said the haven is not commodious to winter in. They said this is not a good place to winter. This is not a commodious haven to winter in. And so we would move out of this to more commodious havens. Churches take their stand against the grosser forms of evil. They take their stand against worldliness and against many of the grosser forms of evil. And they want, they want room to satisfy their evil appetites. A person said to me not long ago, Dr. Lincoln, our pastor is so narrow. He doesn't believe in certain things that young people enjoy and that young people have to have. I think we need a new preacher. Oh, well, uh, Vance Havner would say, maybe the old preacher, they'd like to have a new one. Maybe he'd change the formula, he said. And so they do not want that. They do not want that. They want something to the appeal of their appetites. But then the second was the appeal of public opinion. He said, when the soft winds blew softly, then fearing, then feeling that we had obtained, we put out to sea. All over the world, the south winds are blowing. All over the world, the south winds are blowing. Preachers and authors and politicians and news writers are all telling us that a new day is just about to dawn. And that waters, that peace will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And so we have all sorts of peace treaties and all sorts of leagues of nations and all the rest of it. Somehow or the other, I cannot help but feel. And so we're talking about 
peace in our day, peace in our generation. And we're telling the people, peace is the thing we talk about. Even the commies talk about peace, and they're for it too. A piece of this, and a piece of that, and a piece of the other. They're for that peace. But when we begin to cry peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And all of this peace treaty, all of this peace talk, is nothing more nor less than the forerunner of a storm. Because when you begin to cry, cry peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon you. I was born and reared yonder on the farm. My father was a peculiar fellow. He went to bed at before dark and got up at four o'clock in the morning and waited for daylight to come. I remember we went out one morning to cut oats and had to wait that got light enough to see. And I said, Are you did you sow wild oats? He said, Why? I said, It seems to me you're trying to slip up on them in the dark. And somehow or the other, we never had any time to rest. But you know what made me feel good when we started to the field of a morning? And I felt a soft, warm wind blowing. That was the sign of a storm that day. And that made me feel good because I knew we were going to have a rain that day. When you feel all these, the winds blowing today that we have, my friend, you can say that that's the forerunner of the storm. And that storm's soon going to break upon you. Why, the appeal of human reasoning, that was the next thing. The appeal of human, of human opinion, now the appeal of human reasoning. They put there, the captain of the ship said, no such a thing as a storm will happen. You know what they did? They put their human reasoning up against Paul's divine revelation. Paul had a divine revelation. God had spoken to him and he knew his voice. He knew his voice, and he refused to put his faith in the voice of the south winds. And we today refuse to put our faith in the voice of the south winds. Why? Because we know that soon the whole business is going to pieces, and that which is built upon the sand of human reasoning, that which is built upon the sand of human reasoning will soon be dashed to pieces, and only that will stand that's built upon the solid rock of the Word of God. That's the only thing will stand in that day, my friend. Why, who believed in the days of Noah there'd be a flood? Why, they said there's going to be a flood. Going to be a flood. And the professors down at the university and the preachers over yonder, the liberal fellows said, why, talk about being a, fl a flood. There's never been any... There's never been any rain. Just a little mist has gone up. And, well, they said, what about Brother Noah? Brother Noah said there's going to be a rain of such magnitude that the waters are going to rise. And he's now building him a boat that's going to carry him above the tops of the mountains. What do you think of that? And they said, well, Brother Noah is a pretty good country preacher, but he's got a little roof trouble. His trolley's off. That's the trouble, see. One day God said to Noah, he kept hammering away. Now you talk about faith. A man going out in a dry field and building a boat that would carry he and his family and two of every kind above everything. Now that takes faith. One day God said, Noah, it's time to come in. And Noah got his family and went in. And pretty soon after he went in, then the animals began to come up two by two, two by two. 
A little fellow said, do you believe that, how big was the ark? And I told him how long it was and how wide it was and how high it was. And then he laughed and said, now you see how ridiculous. How would the priests ever carry that across the Jordan? Let me show you something, my friend. He said, do you believe that, do you believe that two elephants could get, he said, you think how many, how much room two elephants would take up? I said, yeah, and you think how many fleas and bedbugs get on two elephants, too? That's another thing. <laughs> he said, but it was scientifically wrong. Oh, scientific. He said, it only had one window, and that was not proper ventilation. Oh, I said, no. He said, and the pubic shout, I'll finish it above. It is open all the way around the top. That was perfect ventilation. He said, but the wind, the rain would have blown in. I said, oh, no, because the wind didn't blow until after the rain ceased. Knowing your Bible will unfit you for hearing a lot of preaching. Amen. I've had a lot of my good sermons spoiled by finding out they wasn't the truth. They made pretty preaching, but they just wasn't so. Like if a little fella came up to me with an Australian sheepdog haircut <laughs> and a pair of breeches on so tight that he'd have to grease his feet to get them on, <laughs> feeling his upper lip for the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. <laughs> and he said, you don't believe in evolution, do you? I said, I didn't. <laughs> Oh, don't be afraid of the scientific argument, amen. God said, Noah, and they came up, the kangaroo and all the rest of them, and when he got them inside, he closed the door. The storm, the clouds appeared, the thunders roared, and the lightnings flashed, and they got out their little John boats, and they called up, uh, they called up Dr. Wigglejaw and said, what do you think of this? He said, quite a phenomenon, quite a phenomenon. The things, you know something, their little skiffs and theirs was just as good as Noah's Ark as long as the sun was shining. And your little evolution boat and your little atheistic boat and your little modernistic boat is just as good as the old time religion and just as good as the old ship of Zion as long as everything is quiet. But when the storm comes, you're going to need the old time religion, amen? That's what you're going to need, the appeal of human reason. Then the great storm, not long after out, there rose a mighty wind called Eurocladon. I think there's a, the wind here, I think there's a passage that's worthy of our consideration in Ephesians 4 and 14. The deity of the Lord, listen, and the cross of Christ and the blessed hope of the Lord's return being absolutely denied. There's a passage also in Jude, my friend, where they have gone in the way of Cain. Cain is the first modernist. Cain was the first modernist. Abel was the fundamentalist. Cain came with his offering of fruits festooned with flowers upon a silver platter. And they said, isn't that beautiful? And then old fundamentalist Abel came and severed the juggler vein of the lamb and took his blood. And they turned up their theological snoots and said, that is slaughterhouse religion. But God said he had respect to Abel's offering. Didn't have any respect for Cain, didn't have any, didn't have any disrespect for Cain or respect for Abel because of their character. But he chose one and rejected the other because of the character of their offering. And if you do not have blood in your offering today, you'll never be accepted of God the Father. There, listen, 
There's a, de- a description of another storm. Jesus lie, yonder a little boat upon the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus lying fast asleep, and the, somehow in the waves and the winds began to roar, and the little boat was tossed like a cork upon the, upon the waves. And they ran down and shook him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and walked out on the deck of the ship, looked up to the heavens and said, Peace. Looked down to the waves and said, Be still. And then with the right hand of deity, he ironed the wrinkles out of the water and drove them across the sea with their tails between their legs like whip puppies until they pillowed their head on a distant shore. And they said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? If he could make the tempest lie down and lick his hand, my friend, he becomes the master of the storm. Master, the tempest is raging, the billows are tossing high. Sky was shattered with blackness, no shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly threatening a grave in the angry deep? The winds and the waves shall obey my will. Peace be still, peace be still. Whether demons or men, whatever it be, no ship can swallow the ship, no wind can wallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. That's the storms that lie ahead for you. The storms of the winds represents the false doctrines of men. And so there's something when the, when the winds came, the sun and the stars for many days did not appear. The sun represents the sun of righteousness. The stars shine after the sun has gone down. And when that had happened, when the sun and the stars were hidden, then Jesus Christ, the sun of righteousness, the stars shining after the sun has gone down, and the saints are the stars, and the storm covered both the face and the stars, both the sun and the stars, and the winds of modernism today covers both the face of Christ and true sainthood. And what happened? When that happened, and the face of the sun was, uh, and the sun went out, and the stars did not shine, all hope that they should be saved was then taken away. And when, when Christ, when the, when the sainthood is lost of you and the face of Christ is covered, all hope of real salvation is then gone. The higher critic and the liberalist and the modernist has taken away the cross. They've turned us over to a well-planned system of social service that asks for no repentance, demands no blood, and needs no saving grace. And I'm going to tell you, under the ministry of such, in there is no hope. Because when that happens, when the face of Christ is covered and sainthood is lost of you, all hope of real salvation's gone. All hope of real salvation have gone. When they've robbed us of our hope and taken away our joy and turned us over to a well-planned system of social service that asks for no blood and needs no saving grace. Listen to me, my friends. All hope is gone. You say, Dr. Lincoln, it's a dark picture that we face today. Yes, but listen. There's hope mid the darkness, because in the midst of the darkness the Apostle Paul stood forth and said, Be of good cheer, there shall be no loss of life. The good cheer, that's divine, and anything that's divine you can rely upon. Be of good cheer, for there stood by me this night the angels of God, whose I am and whom I serve. And he said, There shall be no loss of life. Then, fearing lest we should be cast upon the rocks, we cast four anchors out of the boat and wished for the day. Dr. W. Leon Tucker has a sermon anchored until day dawns. I ran my eyes down his outline one day and saw this. The four anchors, the Word of God, the deity of Christ, the cross of Christ, 
and the coming of Christ. And those things will hold you when things are dark about you. First of all, the Word of God. The Word of God. Don't be afraid. That's the thing that will hold you, my friends, when the storms are beating wild about you, because that's the giant oak that stood in the mountain of eternity and entwined its roots around the rock of ages while the winds of criticism have vainly lashed themselves to fury in its branches. But it will abide forever because thy word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. And the second thing, listen, the deity of Christ, the deity of Christ, he who knows Jesus Christ as God knows all the Savior he'll ever need. He who doesn't know Christ as God doesn't have any Savior at all. You say, Brother Lakin, could I be saved and not believe in the virgin birth of our Lord? Impossible. Impossible, and I'll preach about it tonight. The deity of Christ, the deity of Christ, and the second is the cross, the third is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world for 56 years. I started 56 years ago believing the Bible is the Word of God, believing in Jesus, the Son of God, and believing the atonement. And for all of these years, I've hung every one of my sermons. I've hung them all around the cross of Christ and threaded all my pearls upon the cord of the atonement. And I've never felt, I've never had yet to give up or back up on it. Someone said to me not long ago, Dr. Lakin, what do you account for your continuing as you are? I'll tell you what it is. I started preaching the gospel, and that never changes. That's always the same. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wound supply, redeeming grace shall be my theme and shall be till I die. Then in nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save when this poor listening, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Let me show you something. The coming of Christ, that's the nothing. That's what I'm looking for. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You say, are you going to quit? No, I'm planning my work like I'm going to live for 50 years. But I'm living like this is the last day I'd ever live. I don't think I'll die one of these mornings. I'll step out on my foot won't touch the sidewalk. And I'll take another step and I'll go up and I'll get up among the branches of the trees and my coat and my hat and my shoes will fall off and the rag man will have a big day. Let me tell you, my friend. Listen to me, my friend. That's the thing. Did you notice something? The storm did not abate, the wind did not cease, until the ship had gone to pieces. And then out of the wreck of it, he said, we came to shore out of the wreck of it, some on pieces of timber. Things are not going to get better. Lift up your head, you gates. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until someday, until someday, he comes and takes us up and out of the whole mess of it, and that'll be a glorious day. So why do I worry? Paul said, be a, no, don't be afraid, because the Lord stood by me this night, and if he stands by me, what else matters? Amen. I go yonder to Nat and borrow Jacob's ladder and climb up to heaven and walk down the streets of glory and run into a man, and I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Enoch. I lived yonder in the dark antediluvian days, and one day I walked so far and so close, God said, Enoch, come up and spend the day with me. He said, I said, maybe they won't understand, but I went up to spend the day and I've never gotten back. Why? Because he stood by me and they don't have any night up here, and I'm still spending the day. 
And then I walked yonder and find an old prophet, and I said, What's your name? And he said, My name is Elijah. I went up on Mount Carmel and pulled the fire out of heaven and consumed the altars of Baal, came down off the hill and killed 800 preachers at one time, took the key to the clouds and locked it up and put it in my pocket and went away for a vacation and stayed for three years. Didn't leave any forwarding address, ran over and sat down in a cave and said, Take away my life. And the Lord said, Get up from here, you rascal. And I got up and came walking back, of course, bleaching in the sun after three years of a drought. And I said, Take away my life. And I saw Ahab and Jesse, and she said, there's the trouble. He said, I didn't trouble Israel. Your sin troubled Israel. I walked down with the Jordan River one day, and God wheeled out the old family chariot, the old family chariot of fire, and hooked on some horses of flame. And I walked on the winds and the bed bid defiance of the laws of gravitation, and went above the clouds and cliffs until he said, lift up your head. I see an old black-bearded prophet, and I said, what's your name? And he said, I'm John the Baptist. I walked down the Jordan Valley with a pair of skin breeches on and a leather and girdle about my loins, eating locusts and wild honey. And they came out from the governor of the boot black, and they said, an old woman had my head cut off, and God picked it up. He stood by me and picked it up and put a crown on it. And I said, yonder's another little sore-eyed hunchback apostle. And I said, what's your... And he said, they, I was shipwrecked, I was stoned, I was beaten, I was placed in jail. And one day they led me out to a chopping block, and he chopped off my head, and God picked it up and put a crown of glory on it that fadeth not away. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.